Welcome to the Apple Insider Podcast. This is your host, Stephen Robles. And today we're going to talk about some of the features that came out in 16.2 and 16.3 is out in beta one. There's some new features there and some rumors about a 15 inch MacBook Air and side loading coming to the iPhone. This episode is brought to you by Rocket Money and ZocDoc. And joining me this week to talk all about it from the side, side loaded, Wes Hilliard. How's it going, Wes? Uh, I'm fine, Stephen. I'm finally running all the, the new operating systems. Excited to try out Apple Music Sing. <laughs> wait, wait. Are you really going to do it? Do you do karaoke? Uh, I sing karaoke and stuff. Yes, I've, I've been oh. to karaoke bars. I have to have uh, been to the bar first, uh, but it is okay. it is a lot of fun. See, William refused to join me in a duet, so maybe we could plan something next time you're on. Not on this show. Maybe maybe a different podcast. Oh, okay. All right. Very good. <laughs> well, uh, we, we talked about that last time, but I do want to talk about some of the other features in 16.2, like advanced data protection, because I enabled that, and that's quite a process. But before we get to that, some real quick five-star review shout-outs. VicMan52 from the USA, GBS108 from the USA, and now we have some internationals, Trick202 and JE27Pro from Great Britain and CHLG from Germany. Thank you for those five-star reviews. Now, 16.2 officially came out. All your devices now have an update, and macOS 13.1, it all came out Tuesday of this week, but it is out for everyone. And then the 16.3 Developer 1 beta came out right after it, which we'll talk about. But advanced data protection, I was wanted to enable that. I wanted to enable advanced data protection quickly, get in on there. And it is quite a process because... Number one, any device that has your iCloud account signed in has to be updated to 16.2 or if it's a Mac, 13.1 before you can enable advanced data protection. And I don't know about you, but I had some devices that were not really hooked up to the internet and devices that I hadn't used in a while. Like I have an old iMac sitting in a closet and I honestly was not about to get that out, set it up again just to update it to do the advanced data protection. So the other option you have is remove devices from your iCloud account, and then you can upgrade to advanced data protection. So I did that, I had an iMac, and I had two Apple TVs. One I actually didn't recognize, I don't know what that was about, and another Apple TV that I used to travel. So it wasn't hooked up to the internet, it wasn't plugged in anywhere, so I just removed it for now. I don't know what'll happen when I wanna restart those and how they'll rejoin the iCloud, but did you enable advanced data protection on day one? And do you have any issues? No issues. Um, I also keep my Apple ID device list cleaned out. Uh, anything I get rid of or don't use, I, I remove from that pretty regularly. So I didn't run into any issues there. My sister had a couple Apple TVs signed into my account. Um, and I asked, <laughs> okay. I asked her to update. She took too long, so I just deleted those. And she's going to have to call <laughs> me to uh, sign back into those. Advanced data protection. I'm, I'm pretty excited about uh, the idea of it, uh, it doesn't affect anything that we do, but <laughs> right. uh, it's it's definitely nice knowing that that extra security is there. Now, one of the things I recommend and we would recommend if you enable advanced data protection is make sure you have a recovery contact set up. So in case you ever lose access to your iCloud data. It doesn't even let you do it unless you have at least a contact set up. If not, okay. they make you generate a key. Right. And to be clear, you have the option of adding recovery contacts, which you can have more than one, or you generate a recovery key, which is like, a, I think, a 25 character string of text and numbers. You print that out, put it in a safe, but you can only do one or the other. So if you print out a key, 25 characters or whatever, you disable the ability for contacts to help you recover your data. I'm speaking correctly, right? Oh, well, I tell you what, I will do it right now here live as we record. So I'm going down to account recovery. I have a recovery contact already, which is my wife. I tap recovery key. Recovery key is a 28 character code, excuse me. And if I enable this toggle, let's see what warning. 
Are you sure you want to create a recovery key? If you lose your recovery key and can't access your devices, Apple won't be able to help you regain access to your account or data. And then it just says use recovery key. It doesn't say anything about contacts no longer being enabled. So I'm going to try and do a quick Google, but did you, you have, how many contacts did you add for your recovery contacts? Just, just one. I mean, I don't, yeah. I'm not that concerned. Yeah. See, I'm, I mean, I'm always a redundancy guy. Like I'm recording in three places even now as we speak. So I thought about like adding one more person just in case you don't think that's necessary. I mean, I might, I, I just, just, I just wanted to get it set up. I might add someone else at some point, but just not something on my radar. Yeah. I'm overly yeah. concerned with again, cause this, this is what happens if you lose access to every device you own, you forget all of your passwords, you don't know your passcode, I don't know, like the FBI's stolen all your computers and you need to log into your Apple ID, that this is what you do, I guess, I don't know. Okay, all right. It's, it's a pretty extreme situation. Creating a recovery key turns off account recovery. Account recovery okay. is a process that would otherwise help you get your Apple ID back. So it seems like the recovery key disables account recovery and I don't want to do that, are, are so I'm not enabling it. <laughs> Are you going to use a physical security key to sign into your Apple ID? Oh, right. So iOS 16.3, the beta one now lets you also have a physical key. I guess it depends whether or not it disables account recovery from contacts and stuff. I mean, I'd be cool having a little USB key around that will enable my thing. It sounds awful, actually. Um, <laughs> you don't want to just, do it. <laughs> no, because I want to carry less things, not more things. Yeah, and fair enough. Um, you would need to use it on your iPhone, Mac, iPad. Apple TV, I don't know. Anywhere you need to sign it into your Apple ID, this recovery key would have to be on your person um, yeah. at every moment. And it's just no. Oh, no, 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 thanks. no, no. No, I'm not going to do that. Never mind. No, no, yeah. no physical recovery key. But you can. I think this is only US only still. Advanced data protection if you're in the UK or other countries. Apparently, you don't have access to this yet, but it should be coming early 2023. Right. Now, the other feature that came out with 16.2, obviously, Apple Music Sing, the karaoke thing, which we talked about. But the Freeform app, I haven't played with it in a ton, but I actually got a, a collaboration request from my friend Nate, and he sent me a freeform thing, just kind of fun, like let's draw and add some pictures to it. And I actually thought it was a pretty cool way to just contact with someone that's far away where you can like throw some photos, some videos, some links on this open and free whiteboard, and you can kind of write your thoughts and point to things that you're doing. I don't know if I'll do this regularly, but I thought it was a really cool, even just personal use case for freeform. And uh, it worked pretty good. I thought it was fun. Yeah, I, I literally just opened it for the first time uh, during the <laughs> podcast here. Even it, during all the whole beta thing, you, did, you didn't even open well, it? Well, I didn't I didn't run the betas this cycle because oh, I wanted right, to stay right. far away from all of the architecture changes that destroyed your house. Oh, we're going to get to that. Yes, we will get to that. I'm interested in Freeform. I don't know how much use I'll have for it. It's something I'm going to have to play with. Um, I'm not a heavy notes, reminders, obsidian, obsessive. Like, I just don't have enough things in my life happening that I need notes about them. I, I don't, I'm just not that user, I guess. Yeah, no, I get it. Even e even for work, like, it's not like I'm taking notes on an article I'm about to write. I, I'm writing the article using references that are in front of me. You know what I mean? Like, it's, yeah. it's tough for me to contemplate how I would use these things. I'm not like writing a book or creating a YouTube channel or it's just outside of my wheelhouse. Right. No, I get it. Two other quick little features that I didn't see covered, but that I've kind of run across. If you're doing an Apple notes shared with someone else, meaning you're doing like collaborative editing, like, yeah, I get the creep on you and see where you yes. are in our show notes here. Yeah. So like, even as Wes and I are both in an Apple note here, you actually get a little bubble with the person's face. If you have a photo for them in your contacts and all, or if they have an iCloud photo, you can actually see the bubble where they are 
clicking and looking in the Apple Note together. And I, I saw this with Andrew in our note for Honkin Insider, and I saw your face pasting stuff at the bottom of the note. So kind of a cool, it's very much like a Google Doc, it's very much like a Google Docs feature where Google Docs shows you like everybody's cursor and where they're typing. Nice to see Apple add that. I'm curious if it's also in like pages and keynote when you collaborate with others or even freeform, but it's in notes. So that's cool. And one other quick thing is in the Apple podcast app, the follow button used to just be a plus icon and it was kind of nondescript. If people didn't know what that plus icon did, it was kind of hard to know why it was there, but now they've actually added the word follow to the plus button. And so if someone goes to a podcast, they'll see an actual button that says follow. I think that the thumbs up, you know, especially for podcasting helps people understand what they're supposed to do on that page. I, I understand there's a person born every day that hasn't listened to a podcast, but <laughs> it, it feels odd to me that we're still figuring this out, you know, what, almost 20 years after the medium began. Yeah. Following, subscribing, buttons, like where everything goes. I feel like other podcast players have all this pretty set in stone and Apple's over here just changing buttons on the fly and still doesn't really understand their own design layouts inside of the app. It's I, I, I appreciate that they're continuing to evolve the app but it's just funny to me seeing them kind of like eh, maybe not a plus button let's say follow you know what i mean <laughs> well and the the only uh, i won't defend it but i think the only reasoning i'll give is there have been features added since the beginning of podcasting that has required some terminology changes and you could argue that maybe it should have been something different but like when apple launched paid subscriptions which will be a year and a half ago which man it seems longer than that but when they added paid subscriptions then subscribing to a podcast had like a different nomenclature because that was a paid thing as opposed to following, which I feel like across all the different internet services, it's weird. Like YouTube, you subscribe to a channel, which is free, but you can join a channel, which is a paid thing. And you get member only access. You can subscribe to someone's Patreon or newsletter. Sometimes that's paid, sometimes not. And then you can follow a podcast or subscribe. So and you can super follow someone on Twitter. Yeah, super follow. And then isn't Twitch something like that too like a super uh, follow or fans plus i don't know and yeah something like that yeah uh so anyway lots of terminology maybe we can uh, streamline that well one other feature i wanted to get your input on is ipad os 16.2 kind of the standout feature there is the external display support which has come and gone during the different beta periods but now it is here any m-based ipad so if you have an m1 air or pro or the m2 ipad pro you can now have the full external display support with your ipad I don't know if you've been using it, Wes, but uh, how is it? Oh, it's great. I, I've definitely hooked up my iPad to um, this this display that I'm testing. It's pretty entertaining, uh, especially since I'm, I'm testing a display for review. So it's on my desk next to my studio display and MacBook. So I, my desk is kind of a Frankenstein right now. But uh, it's, it's entertaining going into the display settings and system preferences in macOS because it shows you every active display, including universal control. And uh, right now I see one, two, three, four, five different screens in my, <laughs> and uh, I'm going to send you this image. Please do. This will be the chapter art as Wes sends me this image. So you look in your podcast player and you will see it there. So yeah, if you look at this, it's my MacBook Pro and studio display with an iPad mini underneath the studio display. The iPad Pro connected to an ultra wide <laughs> <laughs> uh, display next to it. And it's actually kind of baffling, but having this many displays it's so fluid uh my cursor just glides right off of the studio display onto the ultra wide display left to right um as if they were the same display like it, it's it's all so fast and fluid going down to the ipad back up to the ultra wide back to the studio display it all just works it's really cool 
Very nice. I still have not tried an iPad with an external display. I just, I don't know. I have not felt a need for it just yet, but I mean, it looks really cool. I've seen you, Chris, Daily Tech. He's been on the show before. He's shown his setup like that. Universal Control, I will say, has been becoming more and more useful for me. And so I could tell definitely with this kind of iPad external display setup, you could really make great use of it. Even just simple things of like, when I record the podcast, like we're doing right now, I'll drag the wave files that I have on my Mac over into Ferrite on my iPad, just drag it across the screens and drop it in and it'll import automatically. You know, I don't have to wait for it to upload to iCloud Drive or even AirDrop, just drag it over, super easy. And then when I wanna do the custom chapter art, I'll keep Ferrite open on my iPad, open the little chapter slide over, and then on my Mac, I'll pull an image probably from Apple Insider, and I can just drag an image from the web page that I'm looking at on my Mac, drag it over into my iPad and drop it into Ferrite that where the where I'm editing the chapter, and it will just put the image there. And then my custom chapter art is right there in Ferrite. I didn't have to save anything to photos, so I don't have to delete those later, and it's great. So universal control, two thumbs up. Uh, it's definitely an experiment for me. I'm I'm liking that Apple's finally branching out the iPad. And I mean, we saw this in the beta season and external display support. That's nothing new. We've known about it for a while, but it's stuff like this that makes me wonder like what's next for the iPad. And I uh, have a 14 inch MacBook Pro, but if you guys remember, I spent my first couple of years at Apple Insider working only from an iPad, yes, including recording podcasts from an iPad. I remember. And I shifted to the MacBook if only because I felt like universal control and things that were announced last year kind of gave the Mac new life and made it seem less boring and old. And I just, cause I just really dislike the classic windowing paradigm. I, I just kind of tire of all of that stuff, but stage manager and everything this year, plus universal control, um, all kind of breathe new life into the platform. Uh, long story short, I've re-implemented a MacBook into my life, but now that's uh, external display support has come back to iPad. I believe I'm going to start experimenting, trying oh boy. to walk my way back to being iPad only. Oh boy! But the only way I'm going to remove the MacBook completely is if you know universal clipboard management stuff comes to iPad. So we'll we'll see how that goes. Okay, I mean, listen, it is fun. I will still stand by. I enjoy working on the iPad, even when at times it's slightly more cumbersome. Like I just enjoy iPad OS. That's my point. I enjoy. Yeah, yeah, and like it it feels good. So I totally get it. And I would I would probably do more on it. But good. Maybe I should try it. Maybe I should Yeah, po- podcast recording and universal clipboard are the two largest things that need to get addressed. Yeah. And universal control does help with this. Again, not to drag on too long here, but like if I have my iPad hooked up to my studio display and my MacBook off to the side just as a this is here just in case I can just copy and paste and do all of my work on the iPad and use paste the universal clipboard on the MacBook because of universal clipboard. Yeah. I copy something on the iPad. Uh, it gets added to paste, uh, clipboard history and if i need to go back and get something i just move the cursor using universal control over to the macbook grab it from paste and go back to the ipad um it's it's really handy and even then uh i can have paste running on the ipad with with universal clipboard updating the clipboard history and paste and switch over to the app on the ipad so there's just a lot of utilities when there's a mac involved in the workflow so it's definitely something i'm i'm kind of envisioning over here trying to figure out exactly how to do this with 
pulling back my reliance on the MacBook as I go. <laughs> For sure. Listeners, if you're out there and you're using an iPad with an external display as your main deal, tweet at us. I want to know. Our Twitter, hand- Twitter handle's in the show notes. Um, so one other thing about 16.2, if you have a lot of HomeKit devices, like myself, like Andrew O'Hara, there is a background architecture update for the home. And so when you go into the home app now, if you go to your home settings and you go to upgrade, like you have to go there to upgrade your home pods and stuff. So I went there, updated the home pods and the home update is there. It says new architecture. This will improve the responsiveness of your home kit devices. Upgrade your entire thing. Now there are some ramifications. One, if you're a part of other homes that are not updated yet, you will lose access to those homes. So I actually had to remove a couple quote unquote homes that I was using, like my parents' house where they have like a couple devices. I removed access for myself on that one so I could update the home. The update failed the first time and I was a little like, hmm, that's weird. And then I pushed through it again, updated it, and it bonked like 29 devices. Basically, so after the whole architecture update was done, I go into the home app and 29 devices of mine were non-responsive. Basically, all of my Leviton, Wemo, switches, and plugs were just all gone. And a couple of Eve devices like my Eve light strip, I didn't have any connection, connectivity. I was tweeting about it, and because we recorded it a little out of order this week, you can hear me really complain on the HomeKit Insider episode on Monday. Not complain, but I'll go more into detail there. But to make a long story short, I've heard from a lot of listeners and they basically said, power cycle your entire home, unplug all the home home hubs except for one, and then turn the power back on and the one home hub will talk to all this stuff and it'll fix it. I understand like some of those solutions might be okay for some people, but I have like four Apple TVs that are mounted behind televisions. Right. And I am not like, and one of them is kind of high. Like I'm not about to get on a ladder, unplug all these Apple TVs from power and all my home pods, which have a bunch. So so there were 29 unresponsive. If you want to share, how many estimated HomeKit devices do you have, give or take? A couple hundred? No, no. I th- 50? I, I think it's it's under 100, but I think it's like between 50 and 70, I think. Like all my ceiling fan light switches and I have multiple, like it's a lot of devices. I, I just did a rough count. Excluding groups, I believe it's like 40, but if I include every single light bulb, I think it's closer to 60 devices on my network. Right. And I and I did what, you know, I, I waited till 16.2 and then got everything updated, all my Apple TVs, iPads, whatever, because it warns you, like, if you do this, uh, you won't have access to your home on your old devices. So I got everything updated and hit, hit the upgrade button, counted to about five, and it was done. And all of my devices said... <laughs> not responding for about, I don't know, two minutes, and then they came back, and uh, everything's fine. Yeah, I do wonder if the amount of home hubs that I have around had something to do with it. I have two Apple TVs and like six HomePods. <laughs> yeah, so maybe that wasn't it. Um, I don't it's, know. It, it's really hard to pinpoint what this might be. Maybe people who've uh, attached their homes to like hoobs or whatever, uh, the uh, uh, those home, home bridge extensions, maybe that could have something to do with it or yeah. specific things don't work. I am having an error and I don't, well, I don't believe it's the architecture issue. Sonos, my Sonos speakers won't airplay anymore. And I believe oh. that has something to do with Sonos. Uh, I don't know if that has anything to do with this, but the night before I got 16.2, my automation for playing music to my bedroom uh, at bedtime worked. And after I did the architecture update, it says can't connect. And now if I try to airplay to a Sonos speaker, it says can't connect. 
pretty much immediately. It's not like waiting or, or spinning. It just says, nope, can't do it. So I'm, I'm, I'm awaiting a Sonos update. Maybe something funny happened there, but we'll see. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure what it was. So anyway, my solution was I factory reset all the switches and repair them with HomeKit and it was fine. So now all my devices are responding again. Huge shout out to HomePass. If you do not have this app right. and you have HomeKit devices, you need this app. Like <laughs> HomePass is an app where you can save all your HomeKit codes in the app. It's really convenient because if you do this while you have all your devices connected, it will pull all the information from your devices, like the brand, the model, like the serial number, all of it, except for the HomeKit code, scan the HomeKit code, and then you will have them saved. You can export it as a PDF. So I even have like a backup of my home passes and all that. And I actually discovered this. I didn't realize it until as I had to go around and repair a bunch of light switches. HomePass has an Apple Watch companion app. Right. And you can scroll the devices on your Apple Watch, which this was amazing because I was going around with my iPad mini and iPhone before. And then I was like, I can just do this on my watch. And you can display the QR code right on your Apple Watch, you know, scan it with your iPhone and repair the device. It made the whole process much faster. So huge shout out. Yeah, HomePass HomePass is an absolutely essential app for HomeKit users. It's amazing. I wanted to mention too, um, I haven't really set it up. Well, I guess I have. Uh, home controller yeah it technically is one of those server things you have to have running on a mac but i have the app on my ipad because i i plan on setting up the, the mac side thing but uh, i haven't i believe it still let me do a backup of my home so okay um but this this is i want to bring it up because it lets you more or less create a backup of your arrangements scenes uh where everything is now this doesn't mean it's automatically going to add all your items so if you delete your home you still have to go through and add every light bulb, add every right. thing back. But if you were once you've done that, you can kind of restore your arrangement, layout, naming, right. and scenes using uh, controllers backup method, which is really nice. So co- pair that with HomePass, and you've got a like a, a whole home backup system on hand. It's really it's it's good to have, if, especially once you have more than like five devices. For sure. And also, someone please check on uh, previous managing editor Neil Hughes uh, because I think his entire home is totally borked and he might have to start from scratch and that's yeah. terrible he got back to me because i wrote about this uh yeah yeah and he said that not only did he have to delete his home it wouldn't let him delete his home so he had to use <sighs> the apple support special code and insert it to force delete all of the home data on his devices yeah he's basically gonna spend like the next month redoing his entire house it's gonna be <sighs> Real sad, sad times over there. We're, we're pouring one out for Neil Hughes. I'm so sorry. <laughs> that's that's miserable. Because I, I had I have a lot of automations too set up in my home. And one of the things I never did before, but in this last time is I had to repair light switches, was when you add a device to a room, it will suggest automations. And previously, I had just deleted an automation if I have to repair devices and then create it again. And instead of doing that, I have automations like in my bathroom, where if I turn off one light switch, all the light switches turn off. And rather than recreating it and adding all the devices manually afterwards, as I went one by one adding the light switches back, there is a recommendation of suggested automations or scenes. And I would just add the device to those automations as I repaired it. And it was a lot better than like trying to recreate the automations later. So, so, so is your, is your home feeling snappier? Um, that's the, that's the other thing is people were tweeting like, so is it a big difference? And I have not noticed any difference. It's pretty much the same. <laughs> so I, I don't know if it's worth it. I would attribute any difference to placebo. Yeah. I kind of think maybe that things are happening more simultaneously. I have some really old hue bulbs. Like I have 
like I, I would say 2015, 2016 era bulbs. Some of them are even cracked. They're just so old, okay. but they still work. And I screw them in, they work, they're fine. I do notice that some of these are a little bit slower on the uptake sometimes on commands. You'll hit a scene and then you'll see one bulb at a time change. I'm not seeing that anymore. And again, this may be placebo. Maybe my network's cleaner. I don't know. Uh, just different times, different things. But at the very least, I've noticed that when I hit a scene, Everything happens simultaneously almost every single time. So okay. if that's a change from this architecture change, then great. I'm, I'm enjoying that at the very least. That's great. Very cool. This episode is brought to you by Rocket Money. Listen, with all the apps and services and streaming apps nowadays, it's so hard to keep track of all the subscriptions you currently have hitting your credit card every month. That's why I use Rocket Money and I love it. It's actually formerly known as Truebill. You might recognize that name, but I love everything about Rocket Money telling you about the subscriptions that are going on and helps you cancel them. The app shows you all your subscriptions in one place. And yes, they can even cancel those subscriptions for you, whatever you don't still want. Rocket Money can even find subscriptions you didn't know you were paying for. And you may even find out you've been double charged for a subscription. If you've been doing Twitter Blue, you know, sometimes there might be a subscription both in Apple and somewhere else. Well, Rocket Money can help you find all of that. To cancel a subscription, all you have to do is press cancel and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. You might have heard me tell this story, but I was paying for a storage unit and they actually upped the monthly price and actually found out from Rocket Money before I even found out from the storage company. Rocket Money will let you know what those subscriptions are, how much you're paying, if it increases, and helps you cancel them. So get rid of useless subscriptions with Rocket Money right now. Go to rocketmoney.com slash Apple Insider, and seriously, it could save you hundreds of dollars a year. That's rocketmoney.com slash Apple Insider. Cancel your unnecessary subscriptions right now at rocketmoney.com slash Apple Insider. Our thanks to Rocket Money for sponsoring this episode. All right, final kind of software thing, iOS 16.3 beta 1, the developer beta is out. Again, this will probably not be coming till like January or February, I imagine, publicly. You get the physical security keys for your iCloud data, but also there's a new like handoff to HomePod card, which if you didn't know, if you're playing something on your iPhone, you can hold it near a HomePod and you can hand it off. There's a little like thing that drops down from the top. You could tap it and it moves whatever you're playing, music or podcast, to the HomePod. It was a little like nondescript and kind of sometimes hard to trigger or hard to understand like what to do. So there's a new card that explains the process. It helps. I think people will discover it more with something like this. I find it too easy to trigger. I'll be in the kitchen really? by the stove, like looking up something and it'd be like, are you connecting to the home pod and you want to play music? And it's over on the counter next to the stove. And it's like, dude, I'm like three feet away from you. <laughs> Yeah, calm down. Yeah, sometimes the HomePod minis especially because they have the whole like U1 chip. I think they can be a right. little overzealous. Like you start getting tapped every time you take a step past it. Yeah. Yeah. I do find the feature really fun and I I have to remind my family members that it exists because they like for us, sure, going to control center and tapping a couple of buttons, it, it seems like nothing, but for them, it might as well be rocket science. Yeah. So like just having a physical gesture saying literally tap your phone to this and it'll start, it'll take over the music and let you see it on your phone. It's great. Like my mom uses that. It's actually a good feature and I hope uh, more for sure. Apple products adapt more NFC like or U1 based uh, pairing like that. For sure. Also another quick back note. HomePass also now has the ability to create NFC tags that will match the HomeKit device that you're adding. So you can actually get like those cheap little NFC stickers 
and make that your HomeKit device pairing code. And so in the future, you could just NFC it if it's something that disconnects often or something. But I thought that was pretty cool. But anyway, 16.3, some things that are not present. Apple Pay Later, which we still have not heard anything about that was supposed to launch. Apple Music Classical, we're still looking out for that app. I'm still going to hold out hope. Maybe it'll be like, you know, final week in December launch, maybe. Probably unlikely, but we'll see. And then the Apple Card Savings account, which was announced, but we haven't heard anything either. And one other suggestion from uh, William Kropog, he actually sent me an email with the Apple Card. I know you use your Apple Card a lot, Wes, and I'm curious if you would appreciate this, but I I think I would almost like, and this is what William suggested, a standalone Apple Card app to manage the card, see transactions, make payments and all that. Sometimes it can be a little weird just having to go to the wallet app to manage it. Like even on the website, you can't really see your individual transactions like William pointed out. So I don't know, would you like a standalone app for your Apple Card management? I would go one step further and say the wallet app needs to be broken up into like four pieces. It's mm. it's too complex. Like it's, it's not that it's complex. It's, there's just too much going on there. You have movie tickets, concert tickets, transit cards, debit cards, home keys, uh, yes. credit cards, car keys, deliver, uh, car keys delivery uh, tracking, receipt tracking. It just goes on and on. Like this, th- this is becoming Apple's like, hey, th- here's this new feature. Where do we put it? Oh, I'll put it in the wallet app. There we go. It's, it's a good place place like I, I can't wait to start tracking my steps in the wallet app or something i don't know but it's it's just one of those things that's just it's way too bloated yeah. and i agree it's an odd place having to go to the wallet app which is like i i feel like you should separate the transaction f- uh, action from the management aspect so the apple card should be in the wallet but maybe yeah i i could see the apple card having its own finance management again even step further i believe google pay lets you do this whole um, financial management and bill pay from the Google wallet. Oh, wow. Right. So, oh, goodness. yeah, I believe in Google wallet and I may be wrong. Someone can correct me, but I believe you can. It, it kind of functions almost like Mint, the uh, finance tracking application where you can add your bank account and like pay link your billers and pay bills and stuff from Google's management app. So I wonder if people would be interested in an Apple version of that, where not only do you see your Apple card, but maybe you could link your bank account and start paying bills and managing your entire financial outlook from there. And given that Apple's doing a savings account next, seems like a, you know, that's a, that's a possible next step. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let us know. Would you like a standalone wallet app listeners? You could tweet at us. I will take it. Just more apps. Apple, you only have, what, 40 apps? Like, just keep making apps. Also, standalone password app. Right. I I mean, 100%. Honestly, I've been really considering just going all in on iCloud Keychain. If only there was the ability to share logins with your iCloud family members, like a shared vault or a shared folder, 100% I would be there, especially now with the whole advanced data protection where everything's encrypted in iCloud, which iCloud Keychain was already... I think into end encrypted in iCloud, but I don't know. I'm all I want to go all in. If I had if I had an argument, and I'll I'll speak for uh, Ricky Mondello right on Twitter. Yeah, um, they're one of the uh, developers for Apple Passwords, and um, they're always tweeting about you know passwords question mark like what are those because I think ultimately, and the reason why we haven't got a official Apple Password Manager is because. In Apple's eyes, at least in this developer's eyes, um, passwords need to cease to exist. And ultimately, they should be passive, not active. You shouldn't have to go to a place, set up an account, and manage your passwords. They should just pull your biometric, log you in, the end. And I and I believe passkeys are a part of that future. I, I'm with you. It would be nice to have a management app, but I, I prefer the idea of not even having to think about passwords, which is the point we're getting to. 
Right. And maybe maybe along your lines, we have synced iCloud pass keys yeah. that you can click a checkbox in settings and say, share this pass key with my family. Oh, yes. That would, yes, that would be amazing. And then they don't even need to know your username, password, or even that the pass key is there. But if they ever go to that website and it's like, hey, log into Netflix, it'll just be like, here's your pass key. Bam. And you don't even have to think about it. Yeah, that That's the future, Wes. I like that a lot. That's cool. Ricky, if you're listening, go ahead and take that and patent it. <laughs> yeah. And let us know if you're listening too. We'd love to know you're listening. Okay. One rumor wanted to cover Ross Young. He's the display analyst. He has been pretty accurate in the past as far as like what size displays and maybe what device they're going into. He is predicting a 15 inch MacBook Air, possibly even spring 2023. So in the next four or five months, I think this would be huge. We've talked about it before. People love big screens. And if you can put a big screen on a cheaper device like the MacBook Air, rather than forcing people to go to a MacBook Pro for a big screen, I think it'd be a huge hit. I think it's possible. I want to point this out real quick. Um, I don't know if uh, the entire world just collectively forgot that this rumor existed, but this was one of the most heavily rumored products that we've seen from like January to April of this year of 2022. And then this rumor came out today and I've seen so many people report it as if it's like a brand new idea (laughs) that the 15 inch. Right. It's not new. Yeah. Um, but it, it's it's hilarious to me. The only thing that's new, by the way, guys, it, in this whole thing is that Ross Young has adjusted his prediction of the 15-inch MacBook Air having a 15.5-inch display instead of a 15.2-inch display. That's the <laughs> entire update. I do want to mention, yes, he is aiming for spring, but Ming-Chi Kuo, uh, the other supply analyst guy, he has predicted a late 2023 release mm. window. But oh, okay. When more than one person says it exists, at the very least, we know this product is in development. Now, when it comes out, that's all up in the air. Maybe an M3 processor product. Oh, that's true. I think it'd be a good move, though. Either way, I think people will go for it. Oh, yeah. Big big cheap laptop all the way. Yeah, for sure. I also want to mention Satellite SOS, the new feature in the iPhone 14 and 14 Pro, came out in Europe kind of before Apple officially announced it. There were people in Europe pulling it up and saying, I see SOS on my iPhone, but it is official. If you're in Europe, you can use, and the UK, well, UK is in Europe, but the, you know, the whole Brexit thing. Anyway, I'll leave that uh, for William. I mean, is it in Europe? <laughs> and, and, I don't know. and the reason William isn't here this week to podcast with Stephen is uh, he got lost uh, somewhere in Wales and he's currently trying to connect to a satellite. And, oh, uh, we'll, I didn't know that. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, I hope he finds out. Uh, but yeah, you can do it now over in Europe and the UK. And also I wanted to mention there was actually already been a story where emergency SOS has been used and possibly helped some people. This was in Crescenta Valley. This is like Southern California. There was a couple whose vehicle had gone off the road 300 feet down into a canyon and they used the SOS satellite feature to contact emergency services and emergency services was able to literally get a helicopter to them and help them out. And so already even just a couple months, well, actually not even a month active because the satellite SOS feature was just enacted like less than a month ago and it's already like been used and it helped people. This is this is one of those things that especially I feel like like adventure people who are going to be out there hiking, they're going to be hyper aware of it. On another on another side of this, I wanted to mention crash detection strikes again. Uh, have you been keeping up with this? I, I saw something about it, but tell me what's going on. I had a story uh, saying that from i believe british columbia that's that's canada right so yes they're complaining that they're just getting call after call they call it the apple 
what was it the apple problem i believe oh. they're like we we're aware <laughs> of the app we, we were prepared for the apple problem is something that they quoted uh but anyway so like uh, up in the mountains where there's resorts and stuff uh they keep getting like skiers uh calling not not even realizing it because they're wearing an apple watch and skiing and jumping around you know whatever sure. uh, skiers do and uh <laughs> triggering the crash detection feature oh these guys are like loading up their helicopters and going out and search and rescue in the mountains it's like oh it's just some some guy didn't know what happened uh one incident a snowmobile had an iphone in the glove compartment and it was just rattling around loose in there and it triggered crash detection oh. right so wow yeah apple says they ha- there's no silver bullet for as you know what their quote but they, there's no silver bullet for figuring out the difference between someone being extra sportsy and a <laughs> or on a roller coaster or in a car crash. So um, the argument for the British Columbia people, and I, and I understand where they're coming from. They're, it's techni- it's a waste of money and resources to jump up, climb in a helicopter, and go search the mountains for a snowmobile. Their argument is uh, maybe Apple should make this opt-in or you know backhaul the features and make them a little less sensitive. And, and I, don't, I don't really see that myself. I wonder what your, what your take is, but like I personally prefer more accidental activations than less because you know even if one in ten is a actual problem like at least like what if that person didn't have access to crash detection in that one in ten instance and that it's a life or death situation you know what i mean yeah i guess better safe than sorry in a situation like this like rather it be a false positive than someone not getting the help i don't know if you remember this we had a similar issue when apple introduced what was it fall detection and there were you know triggering false sure sure falls and stuff like that i don't know i just i just find it funny i again if you're a rescue worker i don't know your schedule do you get calls every single hour of every day or is it you know twice a week i i couldn't tell you maybe in british columbia up in the mountains they're getting them all the time but uh i I did want to note that they said that their annual budget i believe is three hundred thousand dollars and one helicopter trip is about 10 grand so i'm like so you're expecting in a year to only need to fly your helicopter 30 times anyway it's just yeah it's interesting it's like all right maybe maybe talk to your representatives and get a little bit more money but (laughs) yeah that's that's weird i don't i don't know if you could call it the apple problem though it just it just seemed an odd take to me because google google has crash detection also you know in their pixel phones that seven or eight people own yeah you know? fair enough <laughs> well not one of them i have a pixel 6a right over here but you're one of the seven you, <laughs> you increased the sales by one yeah jumps. exactly and but it just sits here on my desk it's like an 80 percent increase yeah there's a zero there, there's a zero chance it's going to be a crash detection on, sitting here on my desk all day but anyway <laughs> this episode is brought to you by zocdoc i literally used zocdoc just a few days ago personally because i was looking for a new primary care doctor I switched insurances over the summer and needed to find doctors that take that insurance that actually live near me because I actually moved also. I knew ZocDoc was exactly where I needed to go. I put my new insurance. You can actually just scan your insurance card with the ZocDoc app, which is totally free, by the way, just so you know. Scan your insurance card. It'll pull your insurance provider and even your plan into the ZocDoc app. And then when you search for doctors, whether it's primary care or specialists, optometrists, dentists, it will surface doctors that accept your insurance and you can book an appointment right there in the app. So ZocDoc is a free app, shows you doctors who are patient-reviewed, take your insurance, and are available when you need them. That was the other thing when I was looking for my new primary care doctor. I can see star reviews from other patients and see which is the doctor that I want to try. I saw some three, three and a half stars, and I was like, no, I'm going to go for the five-star rated doctor. And you can see that in the ZocDoc mobile app. Find and review local doctors, read patient reviews from real people who made real appointments. And then when you walk into the doctor's office, you're all set to see someone in your insurance network 
who gets you. So go to ZocDoc.com, find the doctor that's right for you, book an appointment online. I was able to book an appointment myself. Super easy. Just tap the time and the day I want. And you can book in person or telehealth, remote appointments, whatever works for your schedule. Every month, millions of people use ZocDoc. And I'm one of them. I literally used it just a few days ago. It's my go-to whenever I need to find and book a quality doctor. So go to ZocDoc.com slash Apple Insider. Download the ZocDoc app for free. It's totally free. And start your search for a top-rated doctor today. Many are available within 24 hours. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash Apple Insider. That link is also in the show notes. ZocDoc.com slash Apple Insider. Our thanks to ZocDoc for sponsoring this episode. All right, I want to talk about this big thing, third-party app stores and sideloading. So Mark Gurman came out the gate earlier this week saying, due to the European Union's law, which they have a law coming in 2024, it seems like, that they're going to be requiring mobile devices. This is the Digital Markets Act by the EU. Marketplace operators like Apple, they have yet to identify exactly who will be forced to comply but it will most likely be companies like Apple and Google that they will have to allow for third-party apps to be installed outside of an app store and more might even require third-party app stores to be available, such as the Epic Game Store or the Microsoft App Store on the iPhone. There's been a long time conversation, but it seems like, you know, with Mark Gurman saying that Apple is preparing for this to happen, lends a little more credence that this might actually be happening in the next year. At the latest, you know, he was saying next year, it could be 2023 that Apple begins to allow this. I don't know. I I think this is kind of like saying Apple's preparing for China's invasion of Taiwan, right? Like, sure, it's something you should probably be prepared for, but it doesn't mean you're executing it. It, it, It's a fail safe. I I know everyone's excited and and the hoopla is exploding all over Twitter, but let's take a step back and think about this in in multiple aspects. I want to know your take too. sideloading apps. First of all, how is it going to be implemented? Right. Which app stores? And, and and it absolutely applies to Apple. The, the law is public. You can go read it. They base the requirements on user, user base and money made or whatever. And the fines are like 10% of your annual global income. So Apple has to comply or they're going to lose billions of dollars to fines. Right. But that doesn't mean much if the beginning of the window for implementation is the spring of 2023 with a six-month month window closing at the end of the year. So basically by 2024, Apple has to be in compliance with this law if it remains as is. But a lot can change between now and say April. A lot of companies are going to be lobbying and there could be some alterations, but ultimately let's assume that this happens. Apple is going to implement uh, some sort of sideloading and third-party store system in iOS 17 and announce it at WWDC. So what do you think this Mm. is going to look like? I mean, sideloading third-party apps specifically, like on the Mac, where they have a system with trusted developers and having to get signing of your apps, I could see that carrying to iOS and the iPad, where you can install an app, like you can go to epicgames.com and go to Fortnite and click install, and it downloads a package to your iPhone. iOS checks to see if this is a trusted developer, just like your Mac checks you'll have warnings where it says you downloaded this off the internet and not through the app store are you sure you want to open it and you can you know actually click open i'm sure there could be settings in the settings app that say only allow apps from the app store only allow apps from trusted developers and then free game but that option that option is actually not in even mac system settings anymore because i was looking the other day 
where for gatekeeper, like if you go to system settings in Ventura and you search for gatekeeper, you can see allow application downloads from app store is the first option and then app store and identified developers. Now, why would a third party do this? It's to avoid the 30% fee, which is the whole reason why Fortnite Epic took it out of the app store and all that. Okay, so this is the fun part. Not necessarily, because Apple has so much control over iPhone and iPad that even if they allow third-party stores to run on their platform, Apple could still charge a fee like commission for the app stores to operate. So, which means the the uh, app store operators, the alternative app stores, the Epic Games would have to charge their developers making apps for their app stores a commission in order to pay Apple's commission. That's true. Uh, it would all trickle down. Uh, like I, I alluded to this in, in the article I wrote. It, it transfers, basically, all this does is it transfers Apple from being a Walmart to being a city. Right. So before Apple is Walmart, they have shelves and they're inviting developers to stock those shelves with their apps. And when those apps are sold or whatever inside the apps are sold, Apple gets to take on a commission because they're providing the storefront. That's the whole thing. It's, you know, people call it a tax. It's not that's not how taxes work. This is a this is a commission. Mm -hmm. So they're basically forcing Apple to become a municipality. They're, they're going to become a small government uh, organizing what stores get to move in so now apple is the city choosing if walmart and, and sears and kmart i'm mentioning dead companies um <laughs> it, whatever gets to move in to their city to sell things and now those get to i guess essentially pay the municipality taxes and that in that in that phrase but in this case because apple's a corporation it would be a commission still yeah so it's just transferring the fee to the storeholders, which Apple will still absolutely require. Mm. Sideloading and, and alternative app stores are, let's not get it confused, they're the same thing. It's just one has some window dressing. Sideloading is basically you go to a website and say, I want your app, and you buy it and you download it directly from that. Whereas an alternative app store is still sideloading, it's just organized, right? right? So they've organized all of the apps into shelves where you can have more selection or whatever. It's all sideloading. It's almost like when you download the Adobe Creative Cloud onto your Mac, and then when you open the Creative Cloud, you can install Photoshop and After Effects individually. It's like a... Or Steam. Yeah, or like Steam, exactly. It's a, like you said, a, a front window dressing for the rest of the apps. Here's, here's my thing, and why I'm maybe a little pessimistic, because if someone like Facebook, because the other thing is too, I'm curious how this will how it will affect whether like app tracking transparency and the amount of access that applications have to the system. Now, Apple could control that in iOS as well, but the sandboxed nature of apps from the app store, I don't, I just don't have the technical knowledge. I'm not sure if they can sandbox an app to the extent outside of the app store as they can from the app store right now. So my understanding again of this is that people kind of ran wild with this uh, and they were just like, we can install anything we want. We can do whatever we want. There's chaos, no law. Um, it's not that. Also, I do want to, I do want to mention real quick before we get too far from the beginning of it. This could actually be limited to the EU. Apple could actually only That's true. allow alternative app stores unless the U.S. government passes a law, which I believe there is a such a law in question going through Congress. It has been for the last like three years. It's never been passed. It could get passed now based on the EU stuff. Who knows? Mm. But right now, Apple could essentially say like hold this into Europe, kind of like the dating app uh, situation mm. where they had to 
um, allowed different commissioning fees in different countries for dating apps. And they did it on a per country basis backwards and made it really annoying for the developers. And I, I believe this is going to be a similar situation, but because of the complexity of sideloading and how much the architecture of iOS will have to change to allow it, I think this is going to be a, a sweeping iOS 17 change instead, and it'll be available uh, in multiple countries. I don't, I don't see Apple trying to gatekeep this because it's just going to ask for more regulation and they don't want that. Mm. But getting back to how this would actually work, my understanding of the App Store and its guidelines is basically Apple has these rules um, of what can be in the App Store, like pornography, for example, or Fortnite, um, right. what can and cannot be sold, hateful apps, uh, what is that, Parler, stuff like that. Like That's the things Apple has control over in the App Store. But that's just the store distributing the software. Once you get the software on the phone, that's a whole nother layer. The EU is not controlling what Apple allows to run on their devices it's controlling what apps can how apps are distributed to those devices so just because an alternative app store exists does not mean it's going to suddenly get access to system set like you're not going to be able to install a, a an android skin on your iphone or you're not going to be able to change how control center works you're not going to jailbreak your phone from an app store right but i guess i guess the question is like for an app again i'll just use facebook as an example like it's access to location services. Right. Will it function the same way where when you open the app on the first time and it says, do you want to allow location access to this application? Will that be the same setting that then you could go into your privacy settings later and restrict or remove access to your location permanently? And then you know that the app is not doing anything with your location without you knowing. So Apple would not be able to enforce things like app tracking transparency, which is basically a rule that says apps developers have to disclose their tracking um, on first open and give users the ability to opt out. Opt out. That's not something Apple could control um, because those are top level interface elements of the app, right? And that those decisions are made before they're added to the app store. It's how the app functions versus system level stuff. So think of it like this. If you need to repair your car, you can go buy a part from AutoZone. Advanced Auto Parts. <laughs> advanced Auto Parts. Um, yeah, you could go to AutoZone or Advanced Auto Parts and buy the same part essentially from both stores, maybe at different prices. But guess what? Once you install it in the car, your, your car isn't going to suddenly turn into a Ferrari or something. It's still going to be the same vehicle running the same parts. And that part has to interface the same way with the vehicle, no matter where you bought the part from. Sure. And I believe this these alternate app stores are going to work the same way. Yes, they, they can get around guidelines for Apple's app store that say you have to tell users about privacy settings. You have to tell users about location sharing. Um, they don't have to do that. And they still have access to Apple's mechanisms for location sharing and everything. But if you go to settings, there will be a toggle for location settings because that's how it's surfaced in Apple's ecosystem. Sure. It'll still function like an app on iOS. Now, this that's not to say this isn't exciting for other reasons. Like, Apple doesn't allow emulation platforms on mm -hmm. iOS. So like alternative app stores could like install Delta, a Game Boy emulator. They couldn't sell Nintendo games though, right? So they're not going to suddenly be able to steal random ROMs and stuff uh, like Pokemon Yellow and sell it for $10. That's not going to happen because Apple still has control over what appears on its platform. So 
it's not like there's going to be a black market app store <laughs> that you can right. download, right? Apple still has to approve the app stores coming to their platform. And if any, if any of them try to do anything illegal or over-the-top nonsense, right. they're going to shut it down. Now, I do believe this does mean, though, that things like emulators will happen. You'll have to bring your own ROMs, of course. Pornography, stuff like that will be allowed on the iPhone, but not through Apple's app store. Right. Uh, again, as long as it doesn't break the overarching law of like a, a the government the country or whatever right so i guess also thinking about it like the mac like if you go to system settings privacy security right now on your mac you can go to whatever feature whether it's files and folders whether it's full disk access or screen recording and just like on ios where you can go to privacy settings and restrict an app from getting your location data you can go in and say no i don't want Google Chrome to be able to screen record or have full disk access. And those were apps installed outside of the app store. So I, I think I get it now. Like even on the iPhone, iOS will still be able to restrict apps from gaining access to those features like location and, and tracking and all that. But I will say, I will also say the thing though, that one of the reasons why I have Hazel installed on my Mac is because when I want to delete one of those applications that wasn't installed through the app store, Many times you can delete it from the applications folder, but there's those folders in like application support and in the library that I want Hazel to find all those little files and get them out. And I'm curious if there would also be some kind of like sandbox delete process on iOS where you don't have to worry about those kind of like extraneous files or what? Don't don't confuse the distribution method with the operating system because um, getting an app and downloading it and deleting it will work no matter which the, the same way, no matter which app store you're using. Sure. Um, so the apps will still be installed in siloed packages and still be deleted that way on iOS and iPadOS. And of course, things could technically change because obviously I'm speaking from the terms of if Apple did this today, this is how it would function. Of course, Apple could change things. Maybe the law has nuances in it that would alter how this functions. My guess is that it's going to work the way I've been describing it is basically they're just storefronts. They offer different payment methods. Apple's still getting commissions. People have to go out of their way to install these storefronts. They're offering apps that would otherwise violate Apple's guidelines, but not laws, state laws. And ultimately you're still left with an iPhone running iOS. It's not going to suddenly be a jailbroken device and it's not suddenly going to let you uh, mine Bitcoin or something. And <laughs> Right. I, I wrote another story. There was uh, some analysts talking about this, how if this was only implemented in the EU and Apple made $0 from the App Store in, the, in Europe, they would only lose 1% of their bottom line. Like Apple could literally walk away from the App Store in Europe and this doesn't matter. So huh. like, but okay. that's not going to happen because apparently, according to their, their research, again, Morgan Stanley and their numbers says that uh, apparently on Android devices, only like 1% of users actually use alternative app stores or sideload hmm. and that's a very small number from the developer's pers perspective on ios okay so i'm going to develop an app for a third-party app store instead of apple's app store what does that what does that look like well i get approximately one percent of the user base i have to pay higher fees and, and because now i'm paying an alternative app store and apple so I'm, I'm probably gonna have to charge twice as much even though users apparently say that they'll they're only going to look at alternative app stores if they can pay half as much right, right. <laughs> also they don't get the benefits of being an apple storefront featured or seen by a majority of consumers like it's a lose-lose 
but for those app developers who have been rejected from Apple's App Store, it's a goldmine. So it, you just have to wonder, yeah, like we're not going to see Netflix leave Apple's App Store or Facebook or Google because sure. the prominence of that store isn't going to change just because Epic gets to sell Fortnite on a different store. Right. And I will say John Gruber on Daring Fireball also agrees to your point, like commissions might still be the same, like that 30% or 15% for smaller developers like might be unchanged. I guess my thing is if for some reason there is a benefit for Facebook to only allow you to download Facebook and Instagram apps outside of the app store for whatever reason, maybe it's some access to an API or so they don't have to throw up the warnings about app tracking transparency. If they only want to offer it outside of the app store and they remove it from the app store and you can only get it as a sideloaded application, that would dissuade me from wanting to install it. Like right. even if third-party app stores and sideloading is available, me personally, I will still probably want to get everything from the app store, just like on a Mac. If I can download an app through the Mac app store, as opposed to downloading a package from a website, I will do it. Not because I don't trust the developer or website, but because I find it to be an easier process than if I delete the app and need to re-download it later, or I set up a new Mac. I enjoy just going to the Mac app store and hitting all the download buttons. Yep updates being handled in the Mac app store for all the apps that are there. I like that. Seeing your purchase history and all that. I just like it all in one place and subscriptions also. I don't know how subscriptions, if you have to do that through a sideloaded app, if you have to manage that subscription elsewhere, like on the website, or if it would show up in the subscriptions in your like iCloud settings, I imagine it wouldn't. So for all those, yeah, it would not. So for all those reasons, like I would still prefer it. And if sideloading is available and that causes some apps to leave the app store just for whatever other benefit, I'm not looking forward to that. Like that, I think that would be a loss. That's that's another thing. People would have to have alternate pay payment options for every different app store they used, and uh, so right. now, and now you're sharing your payment options with other people, not necessarily Apple Pay, not necessarily tokenized. Right. It just changes a lot of safe and security factors. So we've we talked about the implementation of it, how it might work, and I wanted to mention one more thing before I I go. Yeah. Um. The risks. Yeah, it's great. Maybe you get to access apps that you didn't get to before. Maybe because I will absolutely install a Game Boy emulator on my iPhone and go get some ROMs. Like that's that's <laughs> sure be like day one. I'll be playing Nintendo GameCube on my iPad all day. But adverse effects of this, and this is kind of the crux of the article I wrote. You might be ready for side loading on iPhone, but your parents aren't. And no, I don't mean old people. I know some people were saying that it's not an ageist comment. Like you can have a parent and be twelve years old and they be thirty. It's it's the risks of having alternative app stores and sideloading your your parents could get uh, your tech illiterate persons could get tricked into installing apps that look like a banking app that isn't right because now right. apple's not controlling that there's nothing that says an app like an apple's guidelines fake apps obviously aren't allowed but an alternative app store maybe they're not reviewing maybe it's loosey-goosey and now there's a credit union app for your bank in there that doesn't actually belong to your credit union that just steals your login information and now they have your banking stuff yeah. right so dangers like that's going to exist no this doesn't mean there's going to be some big virus get added to your phone from a uh, third-party uh, app store technically malicious software could get sent through these things you would assume that apple is policing these stores in a way that would prevent that but it's possible especially since these software sources are going to be less regulated but uh, i would be more worried about spyware of like installing a flashlight app that siphons your contacts database your notes app and your photos right. you know that's that's what i would be concerned about like those kinds of threats and uh those are the kinds of things that affect people that are not 
tech, you know, generally pro users. Right. And finally, the only other thing I would be particularly concerned about, again, these these are things that we're going to have to be troubleshooting as our uh, tech support for the family, right? Like right. it's it's going to it's going to come up, but the only th- other thing I would worry about is um like like you said like spy apps like Facebook bringing back Onavo Protect, the VPN app that siphons all of your data and stuff like that. Mm. It's a concern. It's not like the world's going to explode. Your iPhone isn't going to, to turn into an Android. None of that, those concerns are real, but I would say that this does increase the opportunity for fraud, for scams, um, spyware, and like malicious gambling, stuff like that. Like those, those sort of things that Apple tends to try to protect against would be a little bit more open. Well, that's a lot of good information. Listen, let us know if there is a sideloaded app would you choose to download it or what would you hope maybe could be sideloaded third-party app stores let us know what you think tweet at west and i our twitter handles are in the show notes find links to everything we talked about there as well and you can support the show either at patreon.com slash apple insider or directly in apple Podcasts. thanks for tuning in we'll catch you next time